Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. I would like to say a huge shout out to everyone who participated in our massive work day yesterday. We got so much done. And what was cool was, I mean, we got a lot of new people. We had new people doing stuff. Man, I was like, welcome to Life Point. We, we don't do this all the time. You know, we don't do it nearly as much as we used to. But uh, thank you so much for, for all the, the help. The, uh, man, the elbow grease, that's what we used to call it. The elbow grease that you put into it and making it happen. We're trying to get our campus ready for a gigantic Easter. Very excited about that. Thank you to everyone who helped. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they should be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Now look at 2 Samuel 5, verses 3 through 5. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. In Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. And today, I would like to preach a message entitled, Destiny Requires a Fight. Destiny Requires a Fight. And I want to say a prayer. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness and your goodness. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. We give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. God called David to be a king before he was born. We just read it, Psalm 139, 16. Basically says every day David lived on this earth had already been predetermined by God in eternity past. Before the sun had risen on any of those days, God had already planned them out. It's pretty amazing to me. David was destined to be Israel's greatest king. But if you would have seen him at his birth, looked at his family and his circumstances, you would not have seen that destiny at all. He did not look like a king, and honestly, he didn't look like a king for about 30 years. David was born, in spite of that, on the inside of him, flowing through his veins with royal blood. He was born with a noble heart. He was born as nobility, as royalty. He had a destiny, but destiny 
requires a fight. Without a fight, David never would have become the king that God had destined him to be. You see, God had factored the fight into his destiny. For him to achieve, to arrive at his destiny, it had to be accessed only by way of a fight. He had to learn how to fight. Now, some of you, you're looking at the stuff that's going on in your life. I felt this this, this week in prayer. And you're wondering, what in the world am I going through? Why am I going through what I'm going through? Where did this come from? Let me just tell you this. You have a calling and a destiny on your life. And there is a fight that is factored in to that destiny. A caterpillar is just a butterfly that hasn't yet faced his fight. You hear what I'm saying? A, 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 a caterpillar is a butterfly on the inside. But it's the struggle, it's the fight that makes him beautiful, that gives him wings, that causes him to soar like above all the other caterpillars. You've got to understand the fight is part of your destiny. Fight, a fight is required. Destiny requires a fight. No wonder Peter said, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that is to try you. No wonder James said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. He went on to say, James 1, that they, they are productive. They are helpful in your development. I'm here to tell you that destiny requires a fight. So don't stop. Don't quit. Don't stop short. You keep fighting. You persevere. You push on through. Because on the other side of the fight is the destiny that God has called you to. Amen. Now, David didn't just have one fight, and then it was over. Boy, that would have been nice. There was a fight at every level of his growth and development, every single one of them. Some of us thought the last fight we were in perhaps was our last fight. We thought maybe our last victory we, we were so privileged to achieve was our last victory. Now we can retire from combat duty. We thought, well, I won, you know, that battle, the money battle, the relationship battle, the addiction battle, the lust battle, and that's over, and now there's no more fighting. We've not taken Lyra Jane or Ezra to Chuck E. Cheese yet. But that day is coming. And honestly, uh, if memory serves me well, because it's been a minute, I like their sandwiches. I like their, they got some good sandwiches. I like their pizza. But I love their games. Now, I'm not so interested in the animatronics and uh, the automatons and uh, the singing rat, you know, and the band. I'm not so interested in that. But I love their games. I especially love the game where you, you shoot the gun and the little tokens go up and you try to get them into the, T-Rex's mouth or on those different places. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So we got a few. We got a few. And, and so what I love to do is, is play that game until I get a thousand tickets. And then I go over to that little kid that's working behind the, the, you know, the stand there at Chuck E. Cheese. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, I got a thousand tickets. I want to get, you know, that little 
stuffed animal right there for my grandbaby. That's what I want to do. Now, I may spend $1,000, said, to get those 1,000 tickets, and I'm getting a $2.50 little stuffed animal. But, but dead gummit, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm walking in there like a boss. I want that stuffed animal. Here's my tickets. Count them, man. Put them in that machine of yours and count them. I want them fair and square. Spend $1,000, right? <laughs> but at Chuck E. Cheese, they have another game called Whack-A-Mole. Whack-a-mole, man. And, and you know what it is. You got that rubber hammer, and you're like, boom. And you're like, boom, 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 boom. And you get them all knocked down, and what happens? Boom, another one comes up. Boom, you hit it. Boom, boom, boom. A few more come up, right? Well, the enemy that's fighting against you and your destiny is like whack-a-mole. You may win one battle, but, brother, you got another fight coming. You win that battle, you got another fight coming. You win that battle, you got another fight coming. We like to say new level, new devil. It may be a new level, but really it's the same old devil. He's just coming at you a different way, new strategies, new tactics, new traps. But here's the deal. The spiritual energy that you exert in fighting him and resisting him is actually being used not just to defeat him and to win the battle, but it's also pushing open the door that leads you into the next level. So my advice to you is don't back down, don't back out. You push on through. You fight the good fight of faith. You endure hardness as a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So you stand your ground and fight the fight. Fight. Everybody say, fight the fight. Destiny requires a fight. Now listen to this in our story. While David was going about his father's business, watching over little lambs that didn't even belong to him, when he was at that level of training and development, everybody say process. He was in process. When he was at that level, he learned how to fight. And God used what was available at that level as a training program and a boot camp. And you know what it was? Bears and lions. He was fighting bears and lions. He learned how to fight that fight. He figured out the strategies and schemes of roaring lions and grizzly bears. He had to learn to use that sling and a stone in his bare hands at times. And the only audience, the only crowd that was watching all of this was that flock of dumb sheep. And they weren't like cheering him on. You know, like, Oh, David, right? They're just dumb as ever, you know, eating grass and walking off cliffs and, you know, just doing the dumb stuff that sheep do. Nobody was cheering him on. What drove David to do that? I'll tell you. He was a king on the inside. There was nobility on the inside, royalty on the inside, even though his circumstances did not reflect it at the time. He looked like a shepherd, but he was learning to act like a king. He always brought those sheep back home to safety. There, 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 was, there was dedication that was required, bravery that was required to make it happen, and nobody was applauding him. He was just doing what he had to do. David learned to fight while he lived in obscurity. 
But nobody was watching. Nobody cheering him on. No audience. No grandstands. No clapping. David just had this sense of destiny out there in the fields. There's more to me than what meets the eye. There's more on the inside. I mean, I'm bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. There was a king in him, and he was learning how to fight in obscurity because that was going to take him to the next level. That was part of the process. Destiny requires a fight. But once he succeeded at that level, it wasn't like the next verse said, it wasn't like it said, and then he assumed the throne and became the king. No. He wasn't ready yet. His training was not complete. Some of us, we know there is greatness in us. And we have dreams that God's put on the inside of us. But the truth is, if we got all those dreams to come to pass right now, chances are we're not ready. We've not been developed and matured to the level to be able to handle that. There's some process that we've got to go through, like the caterpillar in the cocoon. So don't be impatient with the process, and don't quit, for goodness sake. Stay in it for the long haul, because God will work it out. He will complete that that he has started in you. David's success as a shepherd only served to open the door to the next level for him. And you know what was on the other side of that door? You know what was there waiting on him? Another fight. Because destiny requires a fight. So check this out. Samuel comes to the house of David's father, Jesse, and said, one of your boys is going to be the next king of Israel. I want you to parade those boys in front of me because I got I, I, I to gotta anoint one of your boys. I don't know which one, but one of your boys is going to be the king. And so Jesse sent out a, a text to all the sons. Hey, Elab. Hey, you know, uh, uh, John and Bill, Ted. Like, oh, boy, I should have got those names, right? I could have impressed you. You know, come on, Jesse Jr. You know, <laughs> come on, T. Jesse. <laughs> We're going to get you in. And so he's texting all the boys. You come on in. There was seven of the boys. And, and he's texting everybody. And they all come before Samuel. And Jesse's sitting there proud, chest poking out like, one of my boys, one of my boys is going to be the king. And so they're all going before Samuel. Samuel's even impressed. He's like, wow, this guy's surely the one. This guy's good looking, man. And you know what? Not a single one of them was the king. Finally, Samuel, he's like, we've run out of boys, and not one of them is the one. Do you have any more? And Jesse said, well, yeah, I mean, there's David, right? I mean, he's out in the fields. Samuel's like, well, bring him in here, Jesse. So, you know, Je David wasn't even in the family text. He has to get his own text, you know. Y'all got family text. We got family text, right? And, and sometimes, you know, when I'm with somebody, I'm, I'm working, and my phone will blow up. I look down, I'm, oh, I got 35 messages. Well, there's, you know, there's seven, eight of us, you know, texting back and forth. David was left out of the family text. And so when David finally comes in, he's the one. You know the story. David had to learn to fight when he was overlooked. Not just in obscurity, but when he was overlooked. 
Think about it. Even though David had been faithful and he hadn't lost any of Jesse's sheep, when God was calling David, Jesse wasn't calling David. When God was calling David, Jesse didn't even have a clue. Jesse overlooked David. Can I tell you something? Anybody who's ever done anything of consequence in the kingdom of God at one time was overlooked. They were overlooked. I, I've got, I've got uh, somebody in my old seminary is, is posting pictures from the 70s and 80s. It's ridiculous. And I went there in the 80s, and the late 80s, and they're posting all these pics of, of people, and, and it's hilarious, right? And I'm looking at them, and I'm just kind of blown away. And it took me back. Because in, in that environment, Joel, you probably relate to this. In that environment, there were people that had the look, right? I just knew they were going to be super Christians and super preachers and super missionaries. And they were accomplished great things, man. They had the look. They had the talent. They had the swag. They had it going on. I'm like, man, they're going to set the woods on fire. And I'm going through these, these pictures this guy's posting. I'm like, I for, he had the look. I've never heard of him since. I don't know where he went. And then there are others that I look at them, I'm like, they didn't have the look, but my God, they've turned the Republic of, of Georgia, uh, the former Soviet Union, they've turned Georgia upside down. They're turning Brazil upside down. They didn't have the look, but here's what they had. They had a calling. They had a destiny, and they fought some fights. Listen, you can have the look, but you still got to fight some fights. You may have been overlooked, but you still got to fight some fights because destiny requires a fight. Samuel got caught up in it. Man, look at these guys. They look like God's champions. Here's what I found. Often God's champions look like man's chumps. Often God's heroes look like man's ho-hums. I feel like I'm looking at some chumps and some ho-hums out here in the audience. But here's the deal. you got a destiny on the inside of you. God's got a calling on the inside of you. People may have looked at you and said, they'll never do anything for God. They'll never plant a church. They'll never start their own business. That couple will never amount to anything. They can't have a great marriage. You see how they started. They can't raise great kids. I'm telling you, the devil's a liar. God's got a calling and a destiny on the inside of you. Some people, maybe they look and say, oh, that church will never go anywhere. They'll never own a piece of property at the corner of Daigle and Airline. They'll never be debt-free. They'll never be at two services and pushing for three or four. They're running out of room again. I'm going to tell you something. You don't see what's on the inside when God puts his hand on somebody or calls somebody or puts his anointing on somebody. It doesn't matter what the outside looks like because God will do something powerful that eventually will manifest where all can see. It's incredible what God does. David didn't get mad. He didn't get bitter. He didn't gripe and complain. He just kept plugging away. He just kept fighting like the king he was. And listen, this is the way it looked in that stage, in that phase. He was still serving his father. He was serving his father who had overlooked him. But as he just fought through that, the energy he exerted was opening another door. It was opening another door. And that was a door that required another fight. And this one was 
He had to fight when he was underestimated. People, this is closely akin to being overlooked. This is being underestimated. When the war with the Philistines broke out, so David wins the fight of being overlooked, gets the anointing, and you would think, wow, he's going to the throne now. He is destined to be the king. Like, this is going to happen right now. I mean, he's got anointed by the prophet. No. He goes back out into the fields, you know. And here he is. And a war breaks out. The Philistines attack Israel. And so what happens is they conscript this army. And they're calling all available men. Come, you know, we've got a battle to fight. Jesse proudly sends his warrior sons. But again underestimates David. David doesn't get the text. David stays out in the fields while his champion brothers go off to war. There's David. They underestimate his abilities. He's, been, he's killed more lions and bears than all his brothers put together. If anybody's got skills, David's got skills. But they underestimate his abilities. And so here we have Jesse again doing Poor old David, wrong. And check this out. Jesse has a prophetic line, okay? His grandparents were Ruth and Boaz. They, they have prophetic significance. His father was Obed. Jesse has a son. Messiah would be called the son of David. Talk about prophetic significance all over the family tree. But Jesse doesn't get it. Jesse underestimates, undervalues, underappraises David's worth. He turns David, who is a warrior and a king on the inside, he turns David, he gets him a job at Uber Eats. He gets him a job at Waiter. Anybody use that right there? Some of you, that's too sophisticated for you. Let me put it like this. He gives him a job as a Domino's driver, right? He said, I love my Domino's app. I love my Domino's app. Your pizza's in the oven. John has gotten your pizza out the oven. Bill's on his way with your pizza. I'm just like, I love that. That's what Jesse turned David into. He should have been on the front lines, but he's delivering crackers and cheese or pizza, to his brothers. And then when he gets out there, he volunteers. He sees Goliath, and he says, somebody needs to take him on. I'll take him on. Well, immediately his brothers are like, you smart aleck, you little punk, who do you think you are? You can't take on Goliath. They bring him to Saul. Saul's like, who is this kid? There's no way you can do this. But David's insistent, like, I got to do this. This is what I was born to do. I, I've got something on the inside of me driving me, man. I, I don't understand it fully, but I've got to do so. Is there not a cause? David is just focused on that. Finally, Saul gives in. He's like, listen, you can take my armor. I mean, you're going to die anyway. At least make it look like I tried to help you. Take my armor. But David, this is so cool. David had learned, I, I can't be anybody else. I don't want to be like my older brother's. I don't want to wear your armor, Saul. I got to be who I am. See, David had learned to be comfortable in his own skin. I found that God uses people who are comfortable in their own skin. 
not when we try to be somebody else and try to use somebody else's giftings or talents, but God uses us when we're ourselves. That's the ones that God uses the most. David was comfortable in his own skin. I'm going to use a slingshot. I'm going to use a stone. That's what I'm going to use. I can't You thank you, but no thank you. i got to be me. In my ministry, I try to be a lot of people. i got to be honest with you. I tried to be Anthony Mangan way back in the day. I'll never forget this. He passes the POA in Alexandria, Louisiana. Friend of mine, great preacher, awesome man of God. And back in the day, he was just such, yeah, I idolized him. And I wanted to be Anthony Mangan. And I'll never forget, I preached in a church in Shreveport. And, and I, I preached this sermon on hell, okay? And I did my best Anthony Mangan delivery technique. And I mean, like, I did a good job. Like, I did a good Anthony Mangan. And, and I mean, I preached, I dressed like him, I looked like him, I, I like, I posed like, like, I did everything just like Anthony, and it worked. The, the church went nuts, right? And we had this powerful move of God, at least I thought we did. And we, we left the church, me and Valerie left the church that night, and she said, hey, don't ever do that again. I was like, what? Like, you notice? Oh, man, like, I thought it was good, you know? And then, I mean, that was, uh, that, that was, you know, that was, that was one shot. Let me tell you another one. I, 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 was, I went to Logansport. I was preaching in Logansport, Louisiana, uh, up by Toledo Bend. And, and immediately, like at the, I'd never been in this church before, immediately I, I, I realized uh, these ain't my people. They different, you know, like they're way different. And, and it was like stylistic, you know what I'm saying? Like their music, their, their way of expressing themselves, their talk. And I was just like, I'm going to bomb it like fast. I need some help. Lord, I'm on the front row, I'm like, Lord God, you know, please give me, give me some direction, you know, like help me. And all of a sudden I just got this, this epiphany. Like, like the Mormon Tabernacle Choir started singing, hallelujah. And I just, all of a sudden I realized it just said, when in Rome. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, when they turned it over to me, like this country fried backwoods, like Ray, you know what I'm talking about, just walked in the It just came on me, man. Like just all of a sudden, and I was like, praise the Lord, everybody. Well, I just... Something snapped in my delivery, and, and I went crazy. You know, and I'm, that's the truth, right? And, and the church went nuts. They're like, man, they're bouncing off the wall, swinging from the chandeliers. And I thought, yes, it worked. I'm powerful man of God, you know. And when we left that night, Valerie looked at me, and she said, if you ever do that again, I'm not going with you. I'm like, but it worked, you know, when it rolled. No, 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 no. I've tried to be a lot of different people, others as well. I've learned I can only be me. You can only be you. God didn't call you to be somebody else. He called you to be you. Whatever he's put in your heart, be true to that vision and never stop fighting because destiny requires a fight. And then when he finally, when he finally defeated, when he defeated Goliath, he, he pushed through another barrier, being underestimated, undervalued, and, and he came to live in the palace, and David had to learn to fight. 
while people were hating him, while people were jealous of what God was doing in his life, and they raged, and they were wanting him and working towards him failing. They wanted him to fail. Oh, Saul was oppressed of demons, and David ministered to him anyway. Saul would throw javelins at David and try to cut him down, try to kill him, hunted him down. He had to hole up in a cave in a doolum while Saul was after him. I'm telling you, I found also anybody that's ever done anything worth talking about when it comes to the kingdom of God has had to learn how to face those who hate them and are jealous of what God is doing in their lives and in their ministry. And sometimes you just got to fight through all that. While they're trying to stop you and trying to cause you to fail, you just got to fight through that. David didn't get bitter. He stayed his place, but he just fought through that. He resisted that. That was developing him. Everybody say process. That was developing him to go to the next level. He was just controlling himself and praying and leaning on God to fight his battles for him. I'll never forget in the early days of Life Point, we had some people, man, that put all kind of heat on us. Y- y'all don't know all these stories, but we, we had some people that moved in and they were like heavy hitters. They gave a lot of money and they were uh, they were influential and they were uppity and they they thought they were the catch me out. They set me down and told me this is the way we think it ought to be. And they told me a few things. And later, uh, just a few weeks later, I, I, I found out they were actively recruiting half my church to go start another church with them. They had talked to one awesome couple in our church about being their student pastors in the new church that they were starting. That was, you know, a daughter work a life point, but not really a daughter work a life point. They were vindictive and jealous and mean and Gave, gave me the stink eye a lot, you know, and 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 thank God that couple, I love them to death, uh, came to me and they said, they said, Pastor, we think you might ought to know, and I'm like, wow, thank you for telling me. I had no idea that they were doing this, and and we we had other situations like that, but here's what had to happen: we had to learn how to fight when people were hating, people were trying to destroy this fledgling congregation. We had to learn how to fight because destiny requires a fight. It just does. And then David got a piece of his dream. He became the king of Judah. That's just a piece of it. He didn't get the whole kingdom yet. Just a piece of it. Just Judah. And then seven and a half years later, well, David gets the whole enchilada. He becomes the king of Judah and Israel. He starts uniting them. God's using him greatly. And then guess what happened? A fight. He's going through all of this. Now he's 30 years old. He's wearing a crown. And the Philistines attack. And, and this is where we're going. And I'm coming down for a landing here. The Philistines attack. And I love this about David. Here's what we can deduce from David's story. Through the process, the boy has matured. He's not too big for his britches. He can handle the authority and the power. God tests us at these different levels before he, you got to be faithful in a few things before you can be a ruler over many. And now David, when the Philistines come up, he doesn't say, I know how to handle this. We'll give everybody a slingshot and a stone. 
I can handle this. Let's choose a champion and I'll be the champion. He doesn't lean on the past experiences. He goes to the, the God who knew him from his mother's womb. And he says, should I pursue? This is humility, man. Should I pursue this enemy? Now listen, these guys were around. He went and took the city of Jerusalem from the Jebusites. These Philistines, these Jebusites, they should have been taken care of 400 years ago in the conquest of Canaan. They weren't. Other generations had failed. But David's not arrogant. He says, God, these Philistines that have arisen, should I pursue? And God says, oh, yes. Yes, my son, pursue. And I'll give you the victory. And so David hauls off after these Philistines and just beats the tarnation out of them. I mean, he takes care of business. He routes them. They go running, and, and David has the victory. David's fought the fight because destiny requires a fight, and he has the victory. But just like whack-a-mole, the Philistines came back to the Valley of Rephaim. They come back, and they gather around, and they array themselves against David. And again, David has so many victories now. He could have gotten arrogant again, but no. I love this. Process. Everybody say process. The process had matured him, developed him. He's not arrogant. He doesn't assume things. He says, God, thank you for the previous victory, but should I pursue this time? And the Lord says, as a matter of fact, my son, I'm so proud of you. No, not this time. I'm going to do it different. He said, I want you to go over here by these mulberry trees or mulberry bushes. They're not very big. Go over by the mulberry bushes. And, and I just want you to wait. And so David said, sure enough. He said, when you hear the rustling in the tops of the mulberry trees, the mulberry bushes, when you hear the wind blowing through those trees, that's going to be a sign to you. Run with the wind. And pursue at that time, that specific time, the Philistine. Stand with me right now. I'm coming to a close. He said, David said, all right, got it. Got the game plan. He tells his men, guys, we're not pursuing right now. We're going to go wait by the mulberry bushes. God's doing things different. And so he goes and waits by those bushes. And sure enough, here comes the wind. The Philistines thought he lost his mind. They were like, this is going to be an easy victory. He's lost his mind. He's gone crazy. And so they, they're like preparing for victory. And yet when the wind begins to blow, when the wind began to blow, David says it's time to go. And they pursue the Philistines. And once again, God gives them an astounding victory. I love that. God gave him a new strategy, a strategy and a new approach. And he was humble enough in his development to hear it and to move on. If you'll look carefully at David's struggles, David's fights, you'll find one common thread. He was dealing with the opinions of others what people think about him, what people thought about him. 
And I'm going to tell you something. Some of the biggest things that we'll ever face and the barriers to us achieving our destiny is being controlled by what others think about us. Obscurity, being overlooked, underestimated, hated, and jealous. But David was more interested in the opinion of heaven than in the opinion of others. You knew me while I was still in my mother's womb. You lined out my days for me before one of them had ever taken, before the sun ever rose on one of those days, before my birthday, before my first birthday, my second birthday, my third birthday. You knew all the days in between. You knew me and you have thoughts for me. In fact, so many good thoughts that it's more than the sands of the sea. Psalm 144, he says, he says, you taught my fingers how to fight, how to war. And you, you subdued people before me. He leaned on the Lord. I just want to tell you something right now. God's got a destiny for your life. But it's not just going to automatically happen. You've got some battles to fight. You've got to fight through some resistance. But as you do, God is developing you, putting you through the process, maturing you, giving you wings that you wouldn't have otherwise to cause you to soar and, and, and do something beautiful for him. That's why you're facing the fight you're facing. Come on, just lift your hands to him and thank him right now for his faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. I thank you, God, when the times are tough and I'm facing the obstacles and the enemies and the resistance. Lord, you've, you're teaching my fingers how to fight. And if I'll be faithful, you'll subdue. You'll take care of the enemies before me. It may be in a different way. I want to be sensitive to you. God, my past victories do not dictate future victories. It's only if I lean on you. Some trust in chariots and horses, not me. I trust in the name of the Lord, of my, uh, the Lord my God. I trust in the God of the armies, of the angels. I, I trust in you, Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord of hosts. I'm trusting in you. I'm going to fight. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to move. I will. This destiny, this splinter that you put in my spirit that's called my destiny, it will manifest. It will come to pass. I will be the man of God you've called me to be. I'll be the woman of God you've called me to be. I'll be who you've called me to be. In Jesus' name. Here's the way I want Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.